0: So Thanksgiving is upon us, and Matt, I was wondering, what are you and your family going to be
1: doing? Uh, once again, our family will be hosting Thanksgiving. Uh, my wife and I enjoy uh, both entertaining and also hosting people at our house because we don't have to pack up four kids <laughs> and bring them bring them anywhere else. And, uh, and I love making the turkey, so I will be elbow deep in a turkey and... Uh, and it'll be great. What about you,
0: Zach? Well, I'll just say to our listeners that I have been the beneficiary of this hospitality at the Reichert household and it is it is not to be missed. So
1: And in fact, the last time you were here, we made a turkey.
0: Yeah, that's that's true. And I guess um I just, uh, inadvertently invited the entire podcast listening universe (laughs) to your
1: house. (laughs) I'm going to wait to release this till Friday. Um,
0: Natalie and I are also going to be hosting, uh, Natalie's parents are going to be coming into town. Natalie and I just recently moved to Frederick, Maryland, and this will be our first, uh, relatives coming to see our new place. Um, we live in downtown Frederick, which is really cool. And, um, yeah, we're just excited to have uh, guests for the first time and to just kind of relax
1: this week. That'll be great. Yeah. Now, when when we were programming out the year, I remember us talking about, you know, what do we, what do we do for Thanksgiving, especially knowing that Thanksgiving week is the same week as the Feast of St. Cecilia, and I think we made the right choice and picked the right song for our episode today.
0: I think so too, you know, looking at all the songs and the text, you know, trying to find a a song that kind of has the message of Thanksgiving, um, something, you know, also, you know, this being the feast day of St. Cecilia coming up, um, a song that, you know, it just really feels good to sing as well, you know,
1: I, I, I think, you know, this hits the mark. I agree. So please open your hymnals to You Are All We Have.
2: Hi, my name is Fran O'Brien and I'm a Catholic priest, ordained in 1985 for the Archdiocese of Boston. I've spent all my priesthood in different parishes and a little bit of campus ministry uh, in the Archdiocese of Boston.
3: Our lives are in your hands.
2: You Are All We Have is is one of the first songs that uh, I kind of let out into the world. I've been writing since I was in in high school and uh, during seminary time as well. And and during the seminary time, we we did a lot of my music. And uh, it wasn't really until I got into my first years as a a priest in a a parish in Cambridge, Massachusetts, that I really started to to write um, seriously. And I think it all stemmed from my uh, my pastoral experience. It's kind of a way that, that I process that, and it's also a way... Um, to help my my musicality kind of grow with the particular parish I'm, I'm with, but you are all we have is is kind of unique. That a friend of mine, um, who's a music was a music director, still a pastoral minister. Joanne Mercier uh, was having uh, David Haas for a couple a uh, couple of days. This was way back in. I think 1988 or 1989, you know, when David had hair and all that kind of thing. Um, so anyway, she asked me to write a couple of pieces, and she did. that's all she gave me. She said, it's going to be a prayer service. And uh, I had about three months to do it, so naturally I waited until, you know, the last possible minute. And uh, I don't remember if she kind of wanted a Psalm 16 setting or not, but that's kind of what I, I kind of uh, chose. And uh, I think the the refrain of it was was pretty easy to come by, and the verses were were pretty difficult to write. And uh, two weeks before, I said to her, you know, gee, I, I have something, but I'm not really sure if it's... If it's going to fly, so uh, I, I think of it kind of as a cut-and-paste job. So she listened to it and said, if that's your cut-and-paste jobs, it's pretty good. Um, so we did it. The first time it was done was done by David Haas. The first time you have something out there when David sings it, you know, that's kind of, a, that's kind of nerve-wracking, number one, but it's also kind of a great thing. And David liked it very much, and um, he took it to GIA. And uh, somehow he twisted their arm and they agreed to put it on his um, Who Calls You By Name, Volume 2 uh, music for the uh, RCIA. And um, I'll never forget the first time he gave me a rough copy of it. It was in the days of cassettes. And it was at a, a National Pastor Musicians gathering. And he said, I got something for you here. He said, it's just rough. It hasn't been mixed yet. And I must have played that darn thing 150 times <laughs> during that week, just said, wow, you know, this is my music out there. Um, and then from there, uh, it kind of took on a life of its, of its own, really. Um, and to this day, it's still one of those pieces that people uh, come up and say, you know, how much that means to them when they were going through a difficult time or something uh, of that nature. You know, I'm sure all of the composers you've spoken to say the same thing, and I uh, you know, oftentimes it's maybe the songs that we uh, we don't think are, are are really connecting with people that somehow, on some level, really do. Um, it's kind of the same with preaching. Uh, you know, as a preacher, you can put together what you think is a bang-up job, and you hear crickets. Uh, but then it might be a day when you're feeling off, or things aren't. You know, oh, I didn't want to say it that way, and people will you know come up to you and say, "I needed that today." Um, and I think with liturgical music, you know, there's so much of that. I needed that today. And that's great. But on the other hand, you know, this is corporate l- worship we're talking about, too. And in, in a sense, that's great if you felt that as a person. But how did you feel it in the community? What did this mean to you in the community? And um, you know, I always encourage people to buy the, the, uh, the CDs or download uh, the MP3s to listen at home and, and to make it part of, you know, their prayer at home so that when you hear it in a context of worship, uh, you unite your um, way of looking at it, your connection with it, with the connection of, of the assembly.
3: You are me, a God I see.
2: So
0: we often ask composers what comes first, the text or the music? And I believe that Fran O'Brien was our first uh, composer who actually said that he really conceives both of them together. And I think that that is actually um, readily apparent in just how he sets the verses of You Are All We Have. Um, Just the different uh, rhythms, the different melodies that he uses uh, accentuate uh, the uniqueness of the text Uh, in each verse. And I think, you know, just the way that he chooses different intervals, different melodies, uh, to do that um, is, you know, a great feature of how he
2: writes. In in that particular piece, you are all we have. um, I set each verse uh, with a different melody. Oftentimes, you know, we, we, we see, um, even if it's done a lyrical style, uh, the same melodic material for all verses, and I was looking at uh, the text and saying I, you know, I, I would be fitting it into a box that wouldn't work. Uh, and a lot of my writing of psalm uh, tunes in my uh, early writing uh, was very much in, in that vein of, of taking the psalm and seeing where the text is going to lead me. Um, when I'm writing my own text, I'm a person who writes uh, the music and the text at the same time. Uh, very rarely do I write one before the other so that it's organically kind of put together. I don't, when I craft a melody, I'm, I'm, I'm going by instinct before I'm going by is this, you know, is, does this go the right direction? Uh, one of my teachers always said just write it down and see see what you're doing afterwards don't let you know the moment go away because oh I really shouldn't go in that direction I should go in this direction uh, go where your toolbox is telling you to go and then take a look at it later and, and maybe um, put pieces in, in different ways so uh, and I all pretty much always am at a keyboard when I'm writing melodies um, so that kind of Limits me in some ways, you know, but oftentimes um, the muscle memory t- kind of kicks in with composers. And um, you can sometimes tell, well, I know they must have written this at the keyboard or on the guitar because it's, it's you know, their pattern kind of thing. So I try not to do, th- if I see something in a pattern, I try to kind of change it. Um, but I kind of let the text tell me where the melody is, is kind of going to go. And um, I always have in mind who's going to be singing it. Um, And that is freeing and limiting, especially when you're doing refrains. You can see that in You Are All We Have, the verse that goes up to a high F. Uh, many people said, why in the world did you do that? And I said, well, it's because of the person who was going to sing it. I thought this was going to be a one-shot deal and this music would never see the light of day. So certainly now I would I would do that a little differently. Uh, one of the, the people I remember kind of um, drinking in some wisdom from um, was uh, reading some of the writings of Alexander Peliquin and how he uh, would take kind of the same approach that the 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 refrains would be simple uh, it wouldn't be simple harmonically they would be simple melodically and then the verses he kind of just went all over the place with uh, and was a little more creative and adventurous with because being done with it by the cantor Um, but i always have the assembly in mind i I very rarely write pieces that are just for choir or instrumental pieces Uh, and i think it comes out of you know this is what i do every day, all, all the time, you know, I'm with my assembly, and I'm writing for, th- for them uh, as much as I'm writing for um, publication and all, and if they can do it well, you know, I say, okay, I can, I can submit that, that's a pretty good piece. They will certainly tell me if it's not going well, not by saying that one, you know, should go back in the drawer, but people don't sing, and you see them not singing, you say, okay, what's wrong with this, what do I need to change here? So it's great to have that, that lab all the time. Uh, I have one parishioner, a 10-year-old altar server, who said to me, why do we, we have that supplement that has all of your music in it? And I said, well, I'm, I'm uh, kind of you know trying it out with everyone and uh, before it gets published. And he said, well, um, maybe you should uh, think about giving us some of your royalties because we have to put up with this stuff, which was uh, I thought was very good. I'll give him the half a penny that I'll probably... Uh, give to everyone because you don't uh, write liturgical music for anything but the passion that is there within you for for liturgy and for for song liturgy.
0: When we first sat down with Fran, even before the tape was rolling, uh, my first questions to him is what has he seen lately? And um, we both understand that to be in reference to um, Broadway musicals. uh, We both um, quite enjoy um, Broadway and musical theater. Um, and I think that informs a lot of how, uh, Father Fran, uh, writes, uh, just his approach to melody, the way that he pairs, uh, melody with text, the way a melody sings. And I think all those things are
1: apparent in this song. I will also tell our listeners that it was during this conversation that Zach Stahowski said he thought Hamilton was overrated. <laughs>
0: and I, I will stand by and I, have, I will defend it to all of our listeners. I have the tape to
4: prove. Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton.
1: If you would like to hear Zach try and explain himself regarding his (laughs) views towards Hamilton, uh, please listen all the way through to the end of this episode and uh, he'll try his best.
2: Yeah, it is something I'm specifically thinking, thinking about. Uh, uh, Not that I'm trying to do text painting all the time, but uh, I'm trying to fit the text to, to the melody well. And I will, you know, uh, sweat over half a measure for for days on end uh, and try different things and then come back to whatever I thought would be uh, able to convey the text the best. Um, I think that comes uh, from uh, another uh, composer that I enjoy his work, Uh, Stephen Sondheim always writes for what he wants the voice to do. Uh, If you listen to Good Sondheim, there's very few interpretations of it. Uh, He he even writes the breaths in. There may be only one breath every 135 bars, but he writes them in. Uh, He knows how to write for singers to be able to convey the text. Um, Especially with the new translation of the Mass that we've had for a few years now, Um, it's taken a lot of time to understand how to convey that text. Uh, if you notice, some of the earlier masses uh, that came out right at the change really didn't take off because I don't think composers had enough time to let, that, to let the text live within them and to sink in. And after hearing something one way for years and years and years, you, your writing style goes to maybe that particular way of shaping a phrase, uh, especially with the Gloria. It's a very different way of shaping phrases now. So text, for me, is always what what leads to melody. Um, How am I um, doing service to that text? When I was first uh, starting to play uh, organ uh, at Mass, I was probably... um, It was the end of the seventh grade, I remember. I was at a party uh, at someone's house who had an organ there, and I, I grew up on playing pop organ. So I was playing pop organ. And the pastor of my parish was there and said, uh, we have a, uh, a choir, a children's choir. It was a boys' choir back then, starting, and um, we're looking for someone to play for it. Uh, why don't you have Frank come down next week and, and uh, see if that works? So I came down. Sister Jane McFarland put in front of me uh, a, a mimeographed copy of Lucian Dess's Give Praise to the Lord, All Ye Men. And I was supposed to make up uh, an accompaniment to it and uh, all that kind of thing. So my first introduction to uh, liturgical music was through Lucian dess And we, we used a World Library product back then, the, the monthly miscellettes, so there was a lot of Lucian dess music in there. And um, so I think he was, he was a profound influence because his music was so, the refrains were so simple um, at first, I thought they were too simple. You know, I'm thinking of "Keep in Mind," which uh, became uh, a de facto uh, memorial acclamation for many years. Uh, or "Grant to us, O oh Lord, a heart renewed and recreate in us Your own Spirit, Lord." I mean, what a, you know, what a great. Refrain. I'm not sure what the what the original French was, but whoever translated it did, did a great job on it. So he was he was a, uh, an influence on my my writing in in that uh, I clearly saw that he was writing for assembly. Then uh, that was very important. Um, and then of course Saint Louis Jesuits. Um, I think probably around 74, 75 was maybe around the time where I first was introduced to their music. Uh, two of my sisters were in a folk group at the parish and they we were strumming away with, here we are and take this bread until the, the Jesuit stuff came out. And I said, wow, this is, this is so much better. Uh, not to say that that music of that time wasn't you know, good for what it was then I mean, it was the groundbreaking music of the time but I saw in the Jesuits a kind of a, a, a different approach a wedding of text to um, f- more American folk melody um, so I think they were a, a big influence as well and, and, and Mike Jonkas uh, his first two recordings I remember saying wow that's a whole other way to look at, uh, at uh, writing for assembly. So I, I think all of those influences together have kind of uh, helped me to uh, kind of broaden and expand the, the things that, you know, I really uh, kind of like to do. And, of course, David's music. Um, and you know, so grateful for David for taking taking the time to look at my music. And um, he encouraged me to send a whole collection of music to the GIA, and that was promptly uh rejected I still have the rejection letter uh and uh he still it went to bat for me and um we got the recording out and uh you know for me, the rest is history <laughs> as they say uh, so especially like s- things like uh now we remain and uh we have been told and marty's uh we remember um they're, i think they were all powerful influence, influences on me.
1: Fran O'Brien is an interesting example of a composer for a variety of reasons, but not least of which because he is a ordained priest in parish ministry. And so he's writing for a, a regular parish congregation, uh, not at the diocesan level or not for a religious congregation. And so that that dual vocation of composer and liturgist, along with parish priest, is really interesting to me. And it occurred to me that when he was speaking about the influences on his liturgical composition and his uh, liturgical style, his musical style, with only one or two exceptions, really, all of the composers he mentioned were also priests. And so it it was fascinating to hear him talk a little bit more about what it's like to be a composer-priest and how, how that reality influences both of those vocations.
2: Being a, a pastor of a parish and, and, and a composer uh, really gives you an insight into um, how to sh- shape or be sh- and be shaped by the lives of the people that you're ministering to. Oftentimes, you know, I'm working with a text and say, you know, eh, is that really going to connect? Um, is is that going to help the person uh, feel that they are part of an assembly, a community, or is it too much a uh, 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 me and Jesus kind of kind of thing happening there? Um, my very, one of the very first songs I wrote in my very first assignment was a, a song for uh, funerals. And it came about because I was trying to process the death of the first uh, woman that I used to visit for com- communion. She was nine years old, beautiful woman. And she died maybe a year into my time there. And um, for some reason, her death really kind of uh, hit me. And from that experience, from the pastoral experience, uh, this, this song, uh, How Deep the Riches, came about. I think a lot of uh, my songs come about as a result of my pastoral experience, of, of the nitty-gritty of, uh, you know, of the joy of baptisms and weddings and, and you know, the grief for funerals that you experience. And um, just everyday life is kind of uh, intertwined with, with my music. And I know that I'm off balance when it's not. I can very much feel it. I'll say, okay, why did I react this way to this particular situation? Oh, I haven't done any music this week. That's why. Uh, I like to just, before Mass, uh, maybe take uh, 20 minutes and sit down and just kind of work through whatever I'm working on at the time. And it really helps me to focus on what I will be doing in a few minutes, presiding you know, and, and lifting my voice and, and everyone else's in prayer. It was very funny. My, uh, I've been at my parish for uh, going on 16 years now. In my first year there, uh, our music director, um, I think it was maybe a week or so in, said, you know, if you have anyone else, you know, just let me know. I'll be happy to, to step aside. Um, and we've been together for 15 years. And she is very honest with me, brutally honest about, uh, you know, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah. And I'm, uh, well, being last minute a lot, I will bring things to her, you know, on a Saturday. Say, you want? can you put this in on Sunday for the choir? Can you put this line in? And um, she will, I know she's angry at me when she calls me Francis. Uh, so I'll say, okay, we'll hold back on that. Uh, but we've had a great relationship in 15 years, and we... She and I and our choir director kind of sit down and plan out the seasons together. Um, So I've had uh, a wonderful relationship. But I know that uh, people who, accompanists and cantors who I've worked with over the years, they get so nervous, you know, when I'm presiding because, you know, oh, my God, I hope I do it right. Um, And, you know, I've heard it all, so it it doesn't really kind of... uh, you know, faze me when I hear something. <laughs> uh, my favorite was in my first parish. I was trying out a communion song, and the refrain was in E, and it modulated to uh, the key of G in, in the, uh, in the uh, verse. It's a communion song, and the organist forgot to modulate. So the organist is playing in E, and the cantor is singing in G, and I'm distributing communion, and uh, I'm looking back at the cantor, and I'm going, stop, stop. But they, they did it for probably five or six verses before she realized that she was not in the same key together. So uh, what can you do? So,
1: as we've mentioned, this episode is coming out during Thanksgiving week, so perhaps if you are listening to us now, um, you are on your way to or from a family Thanksgiving. This week also marks the official beginning of the secular Christmas shopping season, and while we at Open Your Hymnal believe in the sanctity of Advent, Especially with conversing with Fran O'Brien, we're going to allow ourselves to slip a little bit into talking about some of his Christmas compositions.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, many of us probably know uh, Father Fran's music through his Christmas compositions as well. I think, you know, we might even have a separate interview on those sometime in the future. But of course, uh, songs like Nativity Carol, uh, Wood of the Cradle, Sing Hallelujah. Um, it's it's actually pretty amazing that, you know, he has, you know, at least, you know, these three songs, original Christmas songs uh, published in the Gather Hymnal.
1: And and I would think for a contemporary composer, a living composer to have that many Christmas songs must be remarkable or or at least remarkable that someone would take on writing new Christmas music like that. Getting into the, you know,
0: standard repertoire for Christmas, that's like the holy grail for a composer, you know? <laughs> like, if you can do it, I mean, it's, it's an amazing <laughs> thing. Because, you know, of course, you know, music directors are under the pressure of everyone who just wants to hear, you know, everyone's favorite Christmas carols. And, you know, for, um, you know, Fran to have written not only one, but a few songs that I, I would dare say are are, are somewhat standard um, now uh, it's, it's
2: it's quite a feat. I didn't start out to be, you know, the spirit of Christmas. It just sort of happened that way. Um, kind of every every year, I would I would sit down and say, well, let's 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 do one or two for the choir this year, wherever I was, whatever parish. Um, and then I realized after a few years, my goodness, I have about fourteen or fifteen i might as well you know put put them all together and i probably i think on every collection i've done i've had at least one christmas song or an advent song um of course the danger with christmas songs is how 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 many times can you relate the christmas story and to make it fresh Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of always a challenge for me Uh, when we were recording uh, another piece years ago um, Gary Daigle, who was producing it, said, boy, you really want to get all of salvation history in this one song, don't you? And uh, I I realized that, yeah, in my Christmas songs, I really want people to move from from the crib to the cross. Uh, Wood of the Cradle, Wood of the Cross uh, probably is my uh, um, most uh, direct song in in that particular vein. But I just like writing Christmas songs. What can I say?
0: So with this being the time of year it is, uh, we of course, you know, couldn't help ourselves and, you know, veered into talking a little bit about Christmas. But... Uh, Back to the task at hand, I think You Are All We Have is a great
1: song of thanksgiving. And I think a great song of thanksgiving for for us and for this podcast. Um, You know, when I think about how this venture started six months ago um, and where we are today, never having imagined that um, we would be where we are, you know, I can't help but think about the text of Psalm 16, as Fran has said it in verse 2, You know, all good things that we have come from you. And, um, you know, Zach and I are both so grateful for all the composers that have spoken to us and for all of you who are listening. And from all of us, we wish you a very happy and blessed and safe Thanksgiving.
0: And now here is a recording of You Are All We Have in its entirety.
3: what we need Our lives are in your hands, O Lord Our lives are in your hands Protect me, Lord I come to you for safety I say Take me from your side
0: Thank you for listening to the Open Your Hymnal podcast. You Are All We Have is published by GIA Publications. The recording you heard was released by GIA
1: Publications on the album You Are All We Have. Links to this material and other resources can be found at our website, openyourhymnal.com. We'd like to specially thank Father Fran O'Brien for this interview. Production assistance and support was provided by GIA Publications and by Stephen Petronak and the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. You can find important digital resources for music ministry at NPM's website, npm.org. If you aren't a member yet, sign up today.
0: Be sure to follow Open Your Hymnal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes and through Google Play. Our next episode will feature an interview with composer Dan Cantor and his song, Night of Silence. Are the people, of life.
1: We in for Open Your Hymnal, I'm Matt Reichert. And I'm Zach Stahowski. Thanks for listening.
3: Rosen in the snow lie roses Flowers that will echo
4: the
0: okay so I think Hamilton achieved a lot. I do not want to discredit Hamilton at all I think what it did for representation and diversity in theater and bringing new audiences to the theater, Has been remarkable. My beef with Hamilton is that, you know, as far as writing a musical score, I think when you have rap. I I just think it's a different genre, and it's it's it. You know, especially if you're thinking about Tony Award nominations, you are not comparing apples to apples. If we look at you know some of the great musical theater scores, you know, Les Miserables, or even from the same year, I think Waitress was an incredible score. You have real you. you I'm, I don't want to say that, but you have compositional craft as far as melody, where you have, you know, counterpoint, you have composers, you know, somehow making, you know, 29 different melodies work together in like an almost operatic fashion. And that is something that I don't think that the Hamilton score achieves on the same level. I welcome your comments. I would love to discuss this with you on our Facebook page or on our Twitter page. Um, So uh, please feel free to shout
1: out. Join us next time when Matt discusses his opinions on the Electoral College.